0: Okay, good, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the opportunity to come, set ourselves before the word of God, and allow the word to speak to us, a revelation of who you are and what it is you're doing in the earth. And I pray for truth to be sent forth like arrows to pierce our hearts. Let truth be sent forth like arrows to pierce our hearts. Let us come under the influence of the Holy Spirit and of the Word of God. I'm asking for truth to displace uh, thoughts that are not worthy of God. I'm asking for gray areas to be displaced with light and understanding. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Good. Everybody said amen. Amen. Good. We're going to go ahead and continue on with uh, the series we've been on uh, regarding the forerunner mandate, becoming a people, preparing the way of the Lord. And uh, we've been coming out of Malachi chapter 3, which gives us a prophecy at the end of the age about a people who will prepare the way for the Lord's coming. We've been dealing in detail with what that means and uh, just hitting it from a bunch of different angles. And so uh, today, I'm going to shift gears. I'm not going to start with Malachi 3. I'm going to turn us to Revelation chapter 13. We're going to dive into the book of Revelation for a few moments. And I believe this, and I just want to say this. If you haven't been tracking with us, if you haven't uh, heard any of the other uh, messages of the series, you can get those for free online at ihop-atlanta.com. You can go to our website and find our podcast and download anything you want. Uh, or you can get them from our, in our bookstore for just a little minor fee to pay for the CD and the case. But uh, we're talking about becoming a people, preparing the way for the return of the Lord. And, uh, and I want to say that I really believe this stuff. I really believe this stuff, that it's important... In this hour, we get understanding of what the Scripture says. I'm not, I'm not so much interested in the guy, though current events are they're interesting, but in terms of instructing my heart for preparation, I'm not so much interested in the current event guy that's going ahead and overlaying that over the Scripture and then trying to force, you know, you know, there's, you know there's a crisis right now happening in Israel and sort of trying to force that into some scripture and say, well, this is that. I'm not so much interested in that. What I would prefer to do is take the word, hold the word up, and let the word then dictate to us what is going to happen. I am, you know, prayerful over the events that are happening right now with Israel and the Gaza Strip and the military uh, transaction that's taking place there. But I think there will be many of those as time begins to grow uh, short and grow toward the end. There'll be many altercations and the, I'll tell you, the one I'm looking for is when the altercations cease and a peace treaty is signed. I mean a real one, not a little ceasefire. Because that's the one the Bible identifies begins to start a clock ticking. And so, I believe this stuff, biblically is my point, and because of that, it would be irresponsible if I weren't Uh, preparing our community and then the several thousand that listen to us by the internet uh, for what the scripture says is coming because I believe we might be uh, three or four decades out. Many believe that the return of the Lord is going to happen in their generation, in this generation, I believe that. I believe that there are people standing, uh, sitting here in front of me. Some of you will see the Lord's return to the planet, I believe that. And so if that's the case, then we need to take a hard look at what the scripture says regarding the last generation, get these truths deep in our hearts and then become a people that um, are prepared and preparing the way. Prepared in heart and preparing the way for the Lord's return. And so uh, in the last three and a half years of this age, the Bible identifies uh, four unique things that are going to be at the highest level ever in the existence of humankind. And those four things are this. The power of God will be in operation at the highest level ever. And when I'm, saying, when I'm talking about power of God, I mean the, the positive, what we would identify as the positive side. The signs, wonders, miracles, mighty acts version. The Acts 2, 17 through 22. The power of God is going to be in manifestation at the highest level ever in the last three and a half years of this age. And then we have also, secondly, the judgments of God are going to be at the highest level ever in the earth in the last three and a half years of this age. So what you do is, if you're trying to get a context for it, you take the book of Acts and the power of God you see released in the book of Acts, And you take the book of Exodus and the judgments of God that you see that are released on the uh, nation of Egypt, put those together and then multiply it and that's what's going on in the book of Revelation. Book of Acts plus the book of Exodus, put them together and multiply it and that's what happens in the last three and a half years of this age. That's not just a good revival meeting. My entire vision of eschatology for a long time was that we were going to have a big revival at the end of the age and that Jesus would come and rescue us from all the bad stuff. That is not uh, biblical. It's a portion of what's going on that revival will happen. That portion's right. But there are many, many other dynamics that are happening. And the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years of this age, it's not something that the church um, escapes from. It's something that the church actually releases on the planet. Amen. We're casting down arguments. Hide things that exalt themselves. So the first thing is the power of God. The, The next thing is the judgments of God. The third thing is the rage of Satan. The rage of Satan will be unleashed against the human race... At a level previously never seen, at an unprecedented level in human existence, Revelation 12, we see the picture of the last three and a half years. Satan is—he's what happens is the, there's a global open heaven because Satan is cast out of the heavenly realm into the earth realm. So you get the the power of God feature in action because there's a global open heaven with signs, wonders, and miracles flowing freely in the earth. But then you also get Satan cast to the planet coming down. It says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That's everybody on the planet. Woe to you if you're alive at that time. Why? Because Satan has come down to you, it says in verse 12, having great wrath. Great wrath. So we have the power of God, the judgment of God, the rage of Satan, and then also the rage, and I'll put slash sin, but it's really the rage and sin of mankind at the highest level. In Matthew 24, 9, it says, all nations will hate you because of me. That's what Jesus says. So the rage and the sin of the nations in their rage will be pointed primarily and firstly at believers. All nations will hate you, Matthew 24, 9, for my sake. Now, here's the thing. We love the idea that Jesus is coming back. We will celebrate around that. But when we begin to look at the ingredients that are happening on the planet that surround his second coming, the events that are going on on the earth that surround his second coming, that's when we check out. You are know, no, brother, just tell me about Jesus coming back. Come on, brother, preach the victory to me. Well, I am going to preach the victory to you. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and not loving their life unto the death. Revelation 12, 10. So if I'm going to preach the victory to you, I've got to preach to you the biblical victory, which is the blood of the lamb, authority through the blood of Christ, and the salvation that we receive through faith in Jesus, the word of our testimony, prophetic proclamations of truth and being a faithful witness in the face of incredible persecution, and three, not loving our life unto death. Loving Jesus more than we love breathing air on this planet in this age. So if I'm gonna preach the victory to you, I've got to preach the biblical victory that's laid out in the last three and a half years of this age, or else... We're in fantasy. We're not in uh, biblical truth. We're not in scriptural soundness. So the four things that come together at the end of the age that are happening at, at the highest level, the power of God, the judgment of God, the rage of Satan, and the rage of the nations, all those collide and in, in uh, perfection by the plan and the will of the Lord, they all collide together in a three and a half year time period on the planet called the Great Tribulation. The church's finest hour, the most uh, challenging time in the history of the planet. Jesus' commentary in Matthew 24 was this. He said, if that time had not been shortened, no flesh would be saved. Not one person would live to make it through. That's how intense of a time frame it's going to be. Oh my goodness. So I've always been a guy that I, I like reading the end of the book first. I always do that. I get a magazine. I start flipping through the back of it and I find my way through the front. Then I go, yeah, what was this about? And I read the table of contents last. I do that. It's the weirdest thing. My wife goes, what are you doing? I go, "Oh, I'm reading it backwards, I guess. But I've always done that I, and i uh, see for me if they tell me how the movie ends that's not a problem i that doesn't spoil a thing for me cuz i'm so i want to know where we're going so as we're going there it may, the thing makes so much more sense to me i can see where we're going along the way it doesn't bother me to know the ending in fact i find it quite insightful you know if i'm sitting with a person that's never seen the movie and i know the end i go oh that's why that's happening. I know it's going to happen. And that's always been helpful to me. And so that's what we do. We look, I, I like looking at the end of the book. I like looking. The Lord gave us the end of the book, I think, for that reason. So that we could see how this thing is, where it's going. And then we, then we have a corresponding lifestyle uh, that readies us for the way the book plays out. We ready ourselves with a corresponding lifestyle. And that's what we talked about last week. Real, real straightforward. We just talked about how are we doing with spending our time, our money, and raising our children. What are we really doing? And, um, and so I think that's it. God calls us to have a corresponding lifestyle in light of what's coming. And so I really believe this, that we are commissioned to prepare in our hearts and to prepare others, preparing the way for the Lord's return and all the unique events that are going to be happening on the earth at that time. And I think if we would, if we uh, close our eyes to what's coming, and we just get focused on, brother, preach me the victory now, I think we end up being very short-sighted, and irresponsible in our handling of the Scripture, and especially the prophetic Scripture that gives us real detail as to what's coming. Especially if we believe it's going to happen in our lifetime. So, uh, I want to move into Revelation. Now, some people shy away from the book of Revelation because there's, there's some symbolic language, figurative language. I want to say symbolic, figurative language. Which is the use of you know metaphor or types and shadows, things like that. But you get past the five or seven you know, main uh, figurative things that that are there, the main symbols, you get past those, and the thing reads real clear. And uh, next semester in the school of ministry, and I'm committing to this, next semester, we're going to go and break down the book of Revelation in 24 hours of teaching, and we are going to go almost line by line, not completely, but almost line by line, go through 24 hours of teaching, we're going to issue a big, thick study guide, and Help people work through it so that you can make it a hobby of yours to, to study this book. I believe it's God's action plan for the end of the age. And so in Revelation 12 through 14, there's there, it's probably got the most um, figurative language used in the book. But it gives us real clarity into what's coming. In Revelation 12, we see the, the first uh, picture of Satan. We see his defeat. And we see his... Uh, corresponding uh, response to losing authority in the heavens. He gets enraged and makes war against the nation of Israel and the church. That's essentially what Revelation 12 tells us. And then in Revelation 13, it gives us detail into how he's going to make war. He's going to raise up two men. Revelation 13, when you read it, 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 it identifies these two men as two beasts, these two men, are, they're identified as the first and the second beast in Revelation 13. First beast is uh, verse 1 through 10. And then the second beast is uh, verse 11 through 18. And that's what you have, is the picture of these two men that Satan is going to raise up the last three and a half years as his two main weapons of destruction. And here's the thing. The whole goal of the devil... In the last three and a half years, in fact, it, it gives us his whole goal for everything he's done in the earth's age. The whole goal, the thing he is really pushing for, is he wants a global end time worship movement. Isn't that weird? Satan wants a global worship movement. That is the goal. Of the two men that he's going to raise up on the planet, a global end time worship movement, he wants the worship of all who dwell on the earth. You'd think it would be something, you know, stranger than that. You know, he wants to destroy the globe with nuclear holocausts. No, he wants every man to bow down and worship him as if he's God. Remember his idea that he wanted to ascend above the throne of God? That idea has never left him. And it plays out in this, that he desires to have every person bow down and worship him and displacing God's appointed king and that he himself would be the king of the planet through a man, Antichrist. So there's two weapons of destruction that the devil raises up. There are two men. One is Antichrist and one is the false prophet that are identified in Revelation 13. And they are the two beasts that are uh, the main players in Satan's action plan in the last three and a half years. I just want to work through this because when we look at what the devil's uh, action plan is going to be and what he's going to uh, try to institute in the earth, and he's going to have a a strong uh, semblance of success with it, We talked several weeks ago about the Babylonian harlot system that's in the earth right now. And it's setting up the planet for Satan's ultimate plan, which is beast worship. When we we see this plan in Revelation 13, we see that the earth is well on its way to uh, to being able to embrace that plan. And so, he's got these two weapons, Antichrist and the false prophet. In Revelation 13, we're going to land in verse 7. I just want, I'm just i going to slow down at verse 7. I'm going as slow as I can. You got to work with me this morning because I'm trying to unpack a fair amount of stuff. And so I'm going as slow as I can, but I, I, I need to make a point. And you may not like the point I'm going to make, but I like you. And um, there it is. Verse 2, it says, This man... He's going to receive the dragon's power, his throne, and his authority. The dragon is is Satan. The beast, this first beast is Antichrist. And this man is going to have the dragon's throne, his power, and his authority. So let's just stop. Let's just think about that for a minute. There's a human being coming, and Satan is going to give that human being All of his power, his throne, and his authority. This man is going to be able to command demons. This man, I believe, will be possessed by Satan himself. He's going to be able to command demons. And with satanic power, he's going to arise to cause the whole world to worship him. He will have Satan's throne, his power, and his authority. I think of somebody like Adolf Hitler, but I think Adolf Hitler is a minor leaguer compared to what this beast is going to be at the end of the age. Adolf Hitler never did one sign, wonder, or miracle. Yet people would show up to his meetings where he would be proclaiming and he'd be preaching his doctrine and they would show up to discredit him, and by the time they would leave, they would be converted, uh, card-carrying Nazis. He was a fantastic communicator with amazing charisma. And Adolf Hitler will be a minor leaguer because this guy that's coming, the Bible says, Satan will give this man his power, his throne, and his, Satan will give this man his authority. Wow. Wow. Verse 3, it says this man will suffer a deadly head wound and he'll be healed in a mock resurrection. He's going to do everything he can to associate himself uh, as the Christ. He'll tell people that he is Jesus. He'll tell people that he's all the gods of all the religions and one man. He's going to suffer a deadly head wound a wound that either kills him or nearly kills him and he's going to be raised up from that death or that deathbed. He's going to be raised up. The whole world will watch it and the Bible says they will all marvel. The whole world will marvel. They'll watch this man raised from the dead and they will marvel. And it says they're going to all follow him. The world will follow him. Huh. Huh. I just want Jesus to come back. Well, this is part of what's going to happen in the last three and a half years right before the Lord returns. We've got to look at this stuff, beloved. We've got to deal with this. Verse four says, they will worship the beast. The world will worship the beast and the the dragon who gave the beast his authority. They're going to worship this man and the world will worship Satan. Satan who gives the beast his authority. That's intense. The whole world is going to come under this satanic influence and begin to worship this man. They're going to see this deadly head wound. They're going to see him uh, raised from the dead. And they're going to marvel and follow this man. Now look at verse 7. It was granted to him To make war with the saints and to overcome them. That's what the Bible says, right? And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. What's, why, why, do we, why does he have to say that authority was given when he already says Satan's given him all his authority? He's saying the overcoming of the saints and the making war with the saints that the sphere of that will be in every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world verse nine, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. You know, I love that phrase. That's the phrase Jesus used all the time when he was saying stuff that was hard that people didn't want to hear. And he'd say the real hard thing. He used it multiple times through the gospels. He'd say the real hard thing and he'd go, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. His point is people will stop their ears. They will stop their ears So they don't have to hear what the truth of the scriptures is, because they don't really want to have a God that's the uh, the God of the truth of the Bible. They just really want to have a God that's one that they can make in, in their own image. It's the one that's more palatable to them that would do things the way that they would do things. In other words, you and I would never let this man who's got the authority of Satan have you know, three and a half years to wreak havoc over the earth. We, won't, we don't think like that, but God does. And God is going to allow this to happen. He's doing it to kick out all the gray areas and kick out all the props. He's gonna allow the world who hates God to ally themselves with the devil. He's going to allow that to happen so the judgments of God can be seen as righteous and true and just. Beloved, this is coming. He has ears to hear. Let him hear. And I look at these verses and I say, okay, Lord, if we're 30, yea, 40 years out, what does that mean for me today? How must I now live? I need to get myself in a mode to prepare not only my heart but those around me. I want to prepare my children. I dialogue with I, the other night I was building a little shelf. My wife had bought the shelf, and my son, he was reading the Bible. I, I tucked him into bed. He, I, he said, I'm gonna read for a little while. I said, What are you reading? He goes, Oh, I'm just reading the book of Revelation. It's my nine year old. I go, Oh, good. What are you reading? He goes, Oh, I'm just looking at the letters to the churches. He goes, what exactly is lukewarm? I go, that's a great question, son. I go, come on out here, let's talk. I'll build the shelf and you ask me any questions you want. And he reads from Revelation 3 to Revelation 12 in the time that we're sitting there talking. And he's, he's firing questions out of the book of Revelation and it's normal for him. I go, yes, I want to raise up an entire generation that has a biblical understanding that isn't like ooh, about the book of Revelation that, that allows the Scripture to speak to their heart and then equip their heart. And it's becoming normal. It's a little freaky, but it's normal for me. My son can break down the five chronological sections, the five parenthetical sections of the book of Revelation. He can break them down and tell me exactly what they are and which chapters correspond to them. I go, wow, you're awesome. I don't think I could do that right now. I mean, but he's... So we're dialoguing on it. And these thoughts, I love this verse nine. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. And I stand and I look at that verse and I go, am I, will I be one who has an ear to hear? Will I be one who has an ear to hear? Now, the false prophet It says this that he in verse twelve that he has the same authority as the antichrist and he performs great signs and wonders in verse thirteen in verse fifteen and if you're to just take notes because I'm going too fast for you to track it all, verse twelve he has the same authority, verse thirteen he performs great signs and wonders, verse fifteen, this is where this is it causes all who will not worship the beast to be killed. Causes all who will not worship the beast to be killed. And verse 16 he ties the global economics. Remember, he's got authority over every tribe, tongue, people and nation. He ties the global economics to the worship of the beast. In other words, if you don't receive the mark, in other words, to worship the beast with, you have to, you have to worship the beast and you receive that mark, that's one reality you will not be able to buy or sell. He ties the global economic system right into the worship of Antichrist. Satan, beloved, is raising up a global end time worship movement. And if you do not participate, the result is you get targeted for execution. And pull the curtain back on what the devil's doing. I promise you, the devil's not... Here's what he's doing. He's not just simply interested in the homosexual agenda, though He's very interested in it. He's not simply just interested in abortion, though He's very interested in it. He's not just interested in human trafficking, though He's very interested in it. He's not just interested in causing wars and, and, and all sorts of things to break out and, and genocide. He's not just interested in doing those destructive things, though He's very interested in it. Let me pull it back. What He's going to do is this. He's going to cause all the people on the earth To have this choice, either worship me or die. That's where this is going. That's where this is going. Satan is interested in exalting himself above the most high. And his goal is to cause all the people on the earth to worship him or be targeted for execution. That's where this is going. Wow. So, let me, up it, let me up the stakes a little bit. That's, that's not high enough for you. That means this. If his authority then stems into every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, which Revelation 13 tells us it does, and if Revelation 13 is true, that he's going to uh, cause everyone who will not worship uh, the beast, that the false prophet's going to cause everyone that will not worship the beast to be executed... If that is true, then what I'm about to tell you has to also be true. Every religious institution will either be a beast worship institution or it will not exist. Doesn't that make sense? If he's going to cause everyone to worship him or be destroyed, then you're not going to be able to have your little side freedom of religion worshiping something else church going on, he is going to cause that to not exist, or they're going to have to worship the beast. And so what I'm saying is this, in the last three and a half years of this age, Christianity for it to exist, it will not be in an institutionalized uh, organization. It will not be in that format. All of Christianity, if you can hear me, that it has ears to hear here. All of Christianity in the last three and a half years will not be in an institution organized format. It will be in a resistance movement that exists to oppose beast worship in the earth. Because just as the beast is raising up a global end time worship movement, guess what Jesus is raising up? A global end time worship and prayer movement. Now think about this. Think about this for a minute. If every denomination, if every Christian denomination bought into Revelation 13, if they believed it was true, and they looked at Matthew 24 and looked at the signs of the times and realized that we're living in the time that Jesus indicated was the season of his return then we would all be thinking along these lines that we've got to be readying the church to be a movement that stands against the sway of Satan in the earth because it's about to move from becoming an influence that we feel to law that's legislated. And we would take a much more aggressive approach to readying our hearts, preparing our families, and we would take a much more aggressive approach to the way we spend our time and our money right now. Now, somebody would say, brother, you're just a little excessive. And I go, I appreciate your, your concern, but I would also ask you to take a look at the church in China. Because what I'm saying, we have a template for in the earth right now. 100% of the confessing church, the church that believes the Bible, that believes in being born again, that has the book of Romans and the book of Revelation in their theology, which is salvation and the end of the age, those two big points, that exists in a Christian resistance movement called the house church movement that is not legal in the society. The, The nation of China today has, who knows the number, millions and millions of Christians that are already living in what I am talking about right now. It's in a much lesser version, way lesser, but they're actually, that's their day in, day out reality. So I'm proposing to us this. Forerunners at the end of the age have be- have got to begin to get their minds around right now. Western Christians got to begin to get their minds around right now the implications of what it means that a beast is going to arise, it's going to cause the the whole world to worship Satan, and those that will not worship him will be subject to death. We've got to get our minds around that, and then subsequently begin to direct our lives in a fashion that not only ready us, but ready those around us and ready the earth to live through that time on the planet. Wow. Now that's intense. That'll almost bury you. I mean, that is such an intense thought. It will almost bury you if You don't know that God loves you. Our uh, anchor is this. That God delights in us. That he loves us. That he is going to hold our hand and see us through. But we have got we've had a wrong mentality. We've believed that Jesus suffered so we don't have to. Instead, New Testament theology tells us that Jesus suffered so we're able to. And just as the son laid down his life to save, to seek and to save those who are lost, he lays down his life to purchase the bride, so too the bride in this age will overcome the devil by laying down her life. That's where this thing is going, beloved. And I believe we're going to see a massive disruption to the way that we live in the West. We're going to see a massive disruption far before the last three and a half years of this age. Like, I don't think you're going to be sitting at home watching your HD TV and then, bam, Christian resistance movement, you know. I really don't think it's going to happen like that. I think we're going to see this thing over the next 20 years We're going to see the the culture in the West begin to take dramatic hits. And we're we're going to have to be primed and ready to be a people that love Jesus even through challenge and trial. Because if we don't love him through just the beginning of the birth pangs, what will happen when the heavy labor comes? And so I point out uh, this feature of the end of the book Because, you know, last week I got up here and I said, let's change the way we live. Let's change the way we spend our time. Let's change what we're doing. Let's change how we're, uh, you know, raising our family. And I gave us some insight to that. But when I'm talking about being a forerunner at the end of the age, I'm talking about being a forerunner community that's got the point. This thing is going somewhere that's going to be so intense. It's going to be so intense that unless we have a lifestyle that has... uh, uh, revelation about it, and, and we prepared ourselves over some time, we will not be able to stand in that day. And that's the question of Malachi 3. Who can stand? That's the question of Revelation six seventeen. When it all begins to come down, who can stand? So my point to you is this. In the last three and a half years of this age, Christianity will exist as a resistance movement. That resistance movement will resist the sway of the spirit of Antichrist in the earth, because it will be legislated by law. Right now, we resist the influence of the Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit. We resist it by saying no to temptation. In that day, we will resist the legislation of the law demanding us to worship the beast. Christianity will exist as a Christian resistance movement in the earth. Oh, it's so intense. Even as I'm saying it, I'm trembling as I say that thought. Unto this, Jesus Christ coming back to the planet Finalizing that resistance in an eschatological revolution, an end times revolution, where Jesus Himself overthrows the thrones of every nation and and takes up rulership and leadership on the planet. You know, I I, when I begin to get these thoughts, I've had the idea of the Christian resistance movement for about three years. I've thrown it out here and there, but when I begin to get these thoughts, I go, you know, when I got saved, I did not get I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I'm not trying to lead a Christian resistance movement. My goodness. I just don't want to go to hell. But then I had to grapple with what is the Bible saying? What is it saying to me? And I began to look at some things and I began to realize that he did not leave us unaware or unprepared. He actually gives us a Christian manifesto that will anchor us through not only the beginning of trouble, but the last three and a half years, of the great tribulation. It will anchor our hearts through, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. And I look at it on my own life. I wrote a little book, and we just, we've just had it out just about a year, but it's on the Sermon on the Mount as the value system of the kingdom of God. And I look at that little book right now, and I go, Oh my goodness, this little book can be... The, the anchoring manifesto for those that will be prepared for the, the end of the age drama that's going to unfold. And here's why. Let's just flip over to Matthew 5. I want to show you this. This is It was amazing to me. It was stunning to me that my first little writing endeavor was about the Sermon on the Mount. And then when I began to realize that the Sermon on the Mount had everything to do with the church standing in the last three and a half years of this age... It really, it sent a tremble through me. So, just to break it down, if you're taking notes, in chapter five, you get the eight core values of the kingdom. You get that in the first ten verses. The core value system of the kingdom. Then the rest of chapter five are admonitions against sin. Warnings of sin. Don't, don't do these things. And then chapter 6 gives us characteristics of those who live in the kingdom of God. And then chapter 7 gives us the value of mercy and righteous judgment and warnings against false prophets and a final admonition of what it will take to stand when the storm comes. I begin to stare at that. I go, oh my goodness. The Sermon on the Mount is the Christian resistance manifesto at the end of the age. Oh my goodness. In other words, Jesus' first proclamation for those that would be subjects of his kingdom is the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, this is what my kingdom is. This is what my kingdom's about. But then he ties all the rewards of living the values of the kingdom, he actually ties them to the next age. Those that would live these values will receive rewards in the next age. And let me show you this. Verse 3 it says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Here's the core values. And it goes down through them. And we have blessed are those who mourn, blessed are they who are meek, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and then blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, and he gives them the same reward, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I go, wait a minute now. The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes, yeah, and the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I look down the list in the first seven. Those are things that I can set my heart toward in prayer and fasting and say, God, I want to live these values out in my life but verse, but the verse ten the uh, the uh, persecution as a value how does anyone live out persecution as a value? Like what are you supposed to do? Just like go start ruckuses everywhere? I mean that's clearly not what it's saying because he's calling us to meekness, purity. I thought Lord, what is that? How does that? Because I've said it's a value of the kingdom, and I've always said if you live the first. Seven, that you'll receive persecution. But I realize this, that, that blessed are the persecuted as a value of your life, it equals this. That when you stand as a faithful witness, when you stand for truth, when you stand living the value system of the kingdom of God, when you begin to ready your life to live unoffended at the end of the age, persecution will come. Well, the way that blessed are the persecuted persecuted becomes a core value is this, that when the persecution comes, you don't back down. Persecution as a core value is not about stirring up ruckuses with people. Persecution as a core value is, I will anchor myself to truth, come what may. I will anchor myself to the scripture, come what may. I'm going to hold on to Jesus regardless of who thinks I'm crazy or not. Let me just insert this while I'm bringing up the Sermon on the Mount. When I say Christian resistance movement, please don't go home and start storing up water that is not what I am talking about. I'm saying ready yourself for real persecution to come on the earth. And the way that you ready yourself is fasting and prayer, doing the characteristics of, of uh, Matthew 6. It gives us seven characteristics. Serving and giving, fasting and prayer, forgiveness. Those are the readying realities and the ones that will have to live it on that time. Giving yourself to the core values. This is not about Uh, You know, becoming some military minded. This is about giving yourself to uh, Christianity, as Jesus laid it out, Christianity 101, giving yourself to it in abandonment and then holding on when persecution comes, holding on to the truth regardless of who rises up against you. I'm not calling us to be a military people. I'm calling us to be a meek people. I'm not calling us to be a people who rise up in human power. I'm calling us to be a poor people in spirit. A prayerful people. People that actually do the values of the kingdom and then will actually embrace persecution as a value. That they don't bail out when pressure comes. They don't step back when people start rejecting the truth of the scripture. I'm not calling us to do anything different than what the Bible says, but readying ourselves for a day when persecution's coming at a measure you and I can't even fathom right now. I don't like it when the person looks at me wrong in the drive-through. If Revelation 13 is real beloved, if Revelation 13 is real and I believe it is, I've got to get my heart in a position to be able to stand with Jesus through the most intense time of persecution the planet will ever see. See, in a minute, anybody that doesn't buy in to the beast's plan for a global worship movement, all those people will be resisting that movement. They'll be resistors. All Christians will be resistors because there won't be an institution to hold us. And we get the privilege of being alive on the planet at that time. And we've got to be a people right now that ready our hearts to be able to stand in that day. And I want to give you one last verse. I hope you go home and talk about this. Don't take it uh, just because I said it. Look at the verses. Read them slowly. And see what this means. Ephesians 6. Let's just look at this last verse. I believe Ephesians 6 is one of the most uh, important end time prophecies there is for the church in this age. We don't really think of it as that. But look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 12, it says, okay, we're not wrestling against people. We're wrestling against demon powers headed by Satan. Just to say it another way. That's what he's saying. Verse 13, therefore, because this is who you're fighting, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand when? In the evil day. In the evil day. Can I tell you something? The evil day is not a bad day on Thursday at work. I promise you. It's not the day, you know, you show up, they're out of coffee today, you're a little tired, you're cranky. The person you don't like says a few mean things to you. You almost get, you know, you get in a car wreck on the way home. That is not the evil day. I promise you that's not the evil day. In the West, we have no, we have no grid for real challenge. So we go, man, I'm, all hell broke loose today. What, what, what was it? Tell, all hell broke loose. Tell me what all hell broke loose was. Well, I went to Chipotle and, and they were out of beef. I had to get pork. I mean, I, I can't stand pork. And I had to sit at work next to the person I don't like. And you know, they, they made me mad. All hell broke loose, huh? Oh, yeah. Got a flat tire on the way home. I had to change it myself. Forgot to pay my phone bill and the phone got turned off. All hell broke loose, huh? Come on, is that, that's about our threshold. No, read Revelation 13. That's all hell breaking loose. Really, that's all hell breaking loose. When the devil is inside a man demanding the world to worship him or you die, that's all hell breaking loose. That's the evil day. <laughs> He's take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. I love it. You may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The point is this. The point of that prophecy in Ephesians 6 is this. You take on heart standards and he goes, gird up your loins with what? You take on heart standards that are at the centerpiece rooted in truth And therefore, you'll be able to stand if you'll apply these to your life over time in the evil day, then you will be able to stand. It answers the question who is able to stand? Those that gird their loins with truth, take on righteousness, salvation, the gospel of peace. They have the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and they live their lives in prayer and fasting. That's what he says in Ephesians 6. They will be able to stand in the evil day. What's he doing? He's directing us back to the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he's doing. He's telling us to live the values of the kingdom of God rooted in truth. And the person that does that will be able to. To stand. Now, I know I just spoiled the story for you. Because I know I just read to you, as bad as it gets. I just went, as bad as it's going to get, Revelation 13. That's as bad as it gets. But, beloved, I think this. If I pull... See, because we have sort of this fear of the unknown. Well, if I pull the end of the story out and I go, da na there it is. That's as bad as it gets... Institutions are going away. The world's going to worship the devil. Christianity will exist in a resistance movement. That's what's going to happen. Then, 30 years out, 40 years out, you can begin to think about that, tweak your life, and make the appropriate changes necessary so that you can stand in that day, so your children can stand in that day. That's as bad as it's going to get. Now, we've got the answers on how to stand We hold the truth. We embrace persecution as a value. We live the the Matthew 6 values of the kingdom. And that's how we prepare the way. That's how we prepare the way. Now I told you I was going to preach an intense message. I believe the church, I believe believers have got to get out of the escapist mentality. They've got to get out of thinking that things are just going to get better until we take over now there's going to be power released in a massive way millions I believe a couple billion potentially will be sweeped into the kingdom but martyrdom also simultaneously will break on the planet beloved this is where it's going and so when I'm saying prepare this we've got to know what we're preparing for preparing to stand through good amen Let's stand. <laughs> I realize I could teach you one, two, three, four, five on how to make better investments. I just don't think it's helpful for us right now. I think what's helpful is to get a grip on reality and where this thing is going, to live our lives in a, in a a manner that makes sense. I want to live in a way that makes sense. Come, Spirit of God, come. Now, Lord, as I've I've laid some of these things out that are new thoughts, that are really intense thoughts, I pray for grace. I pray for grace. We could stand before you with our scripture, with the Bible open, with an open heart and ask you by your spirit to instruct us. Give us revelation as to where this thing is going and then help us to apply it now into how we're to live our lives today. I pray for the fear of the Lord to come and for horrifying tormenting fear to go in the name of Jesus we'd have a tremble in our heart about who you are Lord God when we say we want to be a 400 people that we'd have the full picture we wouldn't sign up for stuff we don't get get ready Jesus is coming Jesus is coming come Spirit of the Lord speak truth to us I pray you would illuminate the Sermon on the Mount for people God I pray that people would plunge themselves into the Sermon on the Mount the values of the Kingdom of God they'd love truth they'd hold the truth regardless of the stakes come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit just worship for a moment I just want you to take these things before the Lord just for a moment just you and the Lord ask the Holy Spirit what would you say to me about these things just you and the Lord just for a moment